Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Dan Foley on Life Beyond the Numbers. Dan, you're very welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Dan. And it's great to have you here. And thank you. Dan is a fellow Kerry person. That sounds like a bit of a, a fellow Kerry person. Is there a better way of saying that? I wonder. But Dan is from Kerry, where I am from, as many listeners will know. And I first came across Dan last year. And he was on stage and I walked into a room and I heard him speak and I said, that man's from Kerry. I must seek him out. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I also wanted to seek him out because of something he said. Dan said, the day is gone for not doing the right thing. Now, we can argue that there was probably never a day for not doing the right thing. Yeah. But in the context of doing business, things have changed. And I'm sure that's what you were getting at, Dan. How do we do the right thing in the 2020s? I think some industries have been better at doing the right thing over the years because there's been much more of a governance around stuff. Some industries have been held to higher standards than others over the years. Other industries have fallen foul of those standards. They've not been at the same level. Why? I think things like leadership in the industries, I think, Margins, the more money you have, the higher the margin. Is it easier to do the right thing? I think positioning, if you think to yourselves about sustainability, think about stuff that impacts on the environment. And in the 2020s, I think a lot of things have kind of landed together. And, and what's landed to me more and more basically is more people are getting called out now for doing the wrong thing. It was always happening. I've got no doubt in that. I've got no doubt in that. But you are, through many means, less able to get away with doing the wrong thing now. So when I said at that conference, it's about time that we start doing the right things. It was more of a nod to the past and to some of the stuff that's gone on. I'll give you a great example. The construction industry in the 1990s, early 2000s, had a real problem paying people. And we all know that the right thing is to pay our supply chain on time and in full. 
And there'll be many reasons why that happens and doesn't happen. But the construction industry for a long period of time had a really poor, as retail had, as really poor reputation of paying its supply chain. And if I look at the supply chain into the construction industry, Susan, you can't operate as a contractor without having a supply chain that's with you on the journey. It understands the importance of health and safety, understands the importance of partnership, collaboration, togetherness, whichever way, whichever word you use for that, but are actually there and will back you out because it doesn't matter what the margin is, they're there in morning, noon, rain or shine. I spoke at another there a few weeks ago and I asked people to stand up. We went through margins. Who's 100% operating margin? I said, sit down when you get your number called out. And I got to 10%. And uh, there was two people standing. I said, right. It got to 7%. There was one person standing. And I got to 5% and there was nobody standing. And I was still standing. We'll get out. Our industry, and I'm in construction, there's about a 25 to 3% margin. And that in the past can drive different behaviors. If you're sitting in financial services, whereby you are making 60%, if you're in the alcohol Manufacturing sale and distribution is 35 to 40% on that line. It's a very, very different world. And in the past, what has happened is people where they have had cash and all this other, they probably found it easier to do the right thing. But when your margin is tight and low and you are working with still the same elements that were around the pyramids in 4,600 BC, we're still using slide rules. We're still using spirit levels. We're still using Archimedean principles of getting water. We're still using shovels. We were, they're still there, right? We have brought modern methods in, but we've got to invest in those. And to invest in those, you need to know the benefit down the line. So I was really focusing in on the change that has actually happened. I think people did know it was the, what right things were to do, but they found it hard to do it for the industry we're in, margins, Belief elsewhere. How many times have you heard about bad water being dispatched into open seas and all that? Now, we know who's doing it. It's very clear who's doing it. The water agencies know worldwide who's doing that. And they will know why they did it. And they will know they didn't want to do it. And it's that governance around. And this is where boards have a real part to play in this. Is what accountability do you hold yourself to? Behaviors change for three reasons, I think. Number one, where people intrinsically know it's their value set, Susan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The second thing, whereby there's a financial remuneration, because it's in your targets. And your targets line up to your long-term activity and wealth. And the third one is what I call the SOM effect. And that's somebody with a bayonet point saying, you're going to do it. And that's basically heading towards the stick rather than the carrot. Because the integrity one isn't stick or carrot. The urination one is, is, to me, is carrot. But the bayonet point one is stick. And there's where some of the accountability begins to play into. The world, because of social media, because of more available data, trust data is processed a lot quicker, it gives us information, then information is able to make decisions. All those things, in my viewpoint, help us to start saying, if you haven't done the right thing, you are now going to be found out. Yeah, and... There's the danger that you're going to be targeted, firstly, oh, yeah, by yeah. people saying you're not doing the right thing. 
But I think, yeah, if you're not doing the right thing, transparency now means you will be found out and you will be held to account, whether it's the court of public opinion that holds you to account. But also, I guess, if you're trying to attract customers and staff, you need to be more squeaky clean. Oh, totally, totally. Look, look, you look at climate change activists, Susan, right? They've grown in want and belief, but they were still around 40, 50 years ago. I remember when we were growing up, basically, that there was the concerns over a nuclear plant in the southeast of Ireland. It was massive. And Greenpeace and all these came in along the way, CND. They've always been there, but they've held a greater governance to what they've done. And over the years, they've taken the mantle. And with every organization you have, you have elements who want to stay in an organization. You don't want to stay in an organization going different ways. I was, for the good of my sins, I was working at the weekend and I was listening to a brilliant BBC podcast on David Koresh, who was from Waco all those years ago. And about, he was part of a, of a, of a religious organization and he decided to step away from those and as part of a law. And I think all organizations need people to be part of them. And they work through collaboration and congruence. And people then tend to move out of organizations because they don't have that congruence towards the goals, the values of that organization. And also the people who are in that organization. You know, you always hear the people don't leave companies, they leave people. They actually leave the value set of the company. And when you look at, say, some of the elements that go on in particular to, you know, sports sponsorship towards by betting organizations, you wouldn't believe how many people wouldn't want to work for a gambling company because of their value set that sits there. And that means that there is a certain individual. It was like, we, I knew people who worked in shared service and tobacco companies. And they struggled to bring people in because of the right thing. Yeah. And within three, four elements, we've given industries there of what is the right thing. I professionally and personally would have no problem working in a, a betting organization or in a tobacco industry, and I've known people over the years, or in other industries, but there might be an industry that when you look at it, go, actually, I don't feel that fits in my value set. Therefore, doing the right thing probably starts when you go into the organization rather than when you leave it, because at that stage, you may not have actually had the chance to do the right thing. And making the decision, I suppose, Dan, that your values are aligned before you even approach the organization. And we had a chat before we started chat before we started record about how we have similar backgrounds. We both yes. qualified as chartered accountants in Ireland in the 90s, a few years apart. But uh, values weren't talked about then. No. I don't no. ever remember no. talking about values. So how did this become clear to you, Dan? Hey, look, uh, the values had different meanings to it. One of the values that was was work hard, maybe. That was what people felt when we grew up in Kerry in a rural organized parts of the world, that you worked hard. And that if you didn't work hard at that moment in time economically, the probably the opportunities were limited within the locality and the opportunities were immigration as a whole. And then that was work even harder because you weren't in your home country and then you had to work harder to fit in. And that's why Tid and Belly Bullen, they're proudly 250 Ukrainians are housed there. And you're hearing in Karsavin over the weekend about base the element there of the, the provision that people have spent a huge amount of time integrating themselves in. 
And there's an example of the 2020s coming into play rather than the 50s and 60s where that integration wasn't there. And values, to me, didn't really come into play until I joined Diageo. And it became very clear that Diageo was an organization going through quite a lot of change. It was bringing organizations together. And I moved to Budapest as part of my third piece of work in there. I'd worked on Smyrna Vice. I'd worked over in Amsterdam and went to Budapest. And my line manager was, the director was a guy called Robert Hobart. And Robert had a set of behavioral covenants, he called them. And he explained them as follows, Susan. He said, you can imagine that in the past, people would go to market and they would meet you at market and say, hi, Susan, you have a cow. I'd like to buy the cow. Well, I'll tell you what, can you come back in two weeks and I'll bring two pigs? And what people would do is they would cut their hands and they would shake hands. It became a blood covenant. And they would come back to that. And Robert was the first man who ever created covenants and behavioral covenants for the team to operate. And there were things like aim for alignment. We're not all a religious community. We should never agree in everything. Challenge constructively. Celebrate success and mourn failure. Brilliant words. All the stuff. They made Diageo values life. Because we live those behavioral covenants every day. And that became very, very core to how we operated. At the end of every meeting as a senior team, we would actually go around the table and hold each other to account. He had a great one, hold a meeting in the meeting. Because he said, if you've got something to say, I want to hear it here. I don't want to hear it outside because that creates a value set that's not right. We are stronger together in Anatna Kaley, and our unity is our strength. And he was very, very clear on that. And I've taken those over the years. And to the extent, basically, it kind of drives out actually your, your culture to it all. So in our current organization, actually, I'm looking at it here, but I'll show it to the screen, is we've taken our culture in the shared service and we've created a, a cube. Mm-hmm. And these are the six things that are important to us. Number one, we'll play as a team. Drive continual improvement and innovation. Personal growth is paramount, own it. Pride in quality and delivery. I forgot as I say, play your part. And the last one is trusted partner. And each trusted partner, work openly and honestly, challenge constructively. Oh, where do we hear that? Do the right thing, provide trusted expertise. These are key leadership and cultural intentions within our in my part of the organization. And we use that all the time in meetings. And often we roll it as a dice and talk to people and say, What do you think? We've got an away day next week. And what it is, this is the foundation of who we are. And Values are only as good as what I think you have within yourself and what you aspire to be at the same time. I think Kerry people have had very strong values from where we're from. I think our rural background in particular has made us our communities. It's made us a very community-based. And you go abroad and you find Kerry people everywhere. Every time there's a sport event, someone's got to be Kerry jersey and things like that. But what I've always found along the way, Susan, more and more, is that these values are either in you or not. Because if you don't have values, it doesn't work in a corporate environment. You're going to get caught out and it doesn't work in your home life. It doesn't work in your family life. You get caught out and stuff. And I've been caught out in bits and pieces by over the year and I've let people down. It's hard to live values at times, depending on where you are in, in an organization. Sometimes you are told something because management's not a democracy. You believe you know better. How do you challenge back on that? 
And that open environment's got to be there for people. And that's why Robert always said that challenge constructively and aim for alignment. You can't agree on everything. This isn't basically Iona, where, you know, all the monks are all happy at the end of the day, Susan. It's more around that set of people you want to head towards. It sounds like you were very lucky, Dan, to have worked with Robert and met oh. him early enough in your career. Because I think that's something that's missing, isn't it, often, is that role model. And you're speaking about him as if he's <laughs> you met him last week. Almost. Yeah, yeah. True. And the impact that that type of leader has on us stays with us for life. I trained in Deloitte and I can honestly say that like, I had some great people in Deloitte, but there were also some people who taught me more about how not to manage and how yeah, not yeah, to behave. Yeah. And that's quite hard. And that's where your own values come into play, I think, Dan, because I had enough sense to know that this behaviour wasn't how I was going to be when I showed up for work and managed people. But it would have been easy to copy them as well. And and I'll be honest with you, I did copy some of those behaviours and Robert uncopied them for me. <laughs> he took me aside once and he said, look, these are the things you need to do differently. You have a choice. You either do them or you don't. If you don't do them, you won't be around. And he, he gave a bit of thinking time to us. And, I, and he said, look, I, 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 this is my advice. And this is a guy who had captain hungry, and I think at under 21, so he had been a leader all his life, and he was competitive to the core. I was always going to listen to him. And I still would now. That's the impact he had on me. But he basically gave me a very easy view on leadership, but he said it's, it's he called it the Jedi concept. He said, J is for judgment, knowing what to do. E is for edge, knowing when to do it. D is for drive, that determination and getting it done. And I is for influencing, bringing everybody in the journey with you. All underpinned by P for managing people. And I've never seen anybody explain leadership as simple and as easy and as succinct ever, Susan. Jedi P. Judgment, edge, drive, influence, and all underpinned by people. That's fantastic. And as... I'm kind of like stunned hearing it as well because yeah. it is, like it is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess there's a couple of things. There was another P you mentioned a couple of times, and that was play. So I'd like to come back to that yeah, a little yeah. bit later on. But how about you and the people you've managed? Because presumably you've also had to have some of these conversations where there has to be that alignment, and you can see that it's it's not working. So. This is stuff people don't want to do often. Yeah, 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 yeah. How did you become comfortable with it, become okay with it, or did you ever even think about it? I did think about it, and there's no playbook for a lot of these items. You will be put on coaching conversations and that sort of stuff, and that's all great and good. But a lot of that should be second nature, to be fair. You should be able to walk into a room predict the outcome and get ready. If you can't predict the outcome, know what you do if the outcome isn't going your way. I've had the conversations that happened to me. So I've learned from them to start with. Some of the conversations have gone well, we've seen behavioral changes. Some of the conversations haven't gone as well, we've seen exits. Because at that stage, the value set wasn't the same there. If people don't want to change, there'll be a reason for it. The day is done for, you know, marching people 
being unkind to these things, particularly on an operational basis. I had a great, great scenario basically two years ago. We were in lockdown. We had a project we were working on, and a bunch of people were unhappy with the project. And they made it very clear to me, sat in a room, metaphorical room, one of these team's rooms, and we talked it out. And we got to the end point, and I said, everybody disagreed but going live. And, and I, okay, I said, okay, right. I'm going to give you my value judgment on that, which is I'm listening to you, I'm hearing it, and I disagree. And here's why I disagree, and here's why we're going live. And it didn't go down well. But you know what, right? Popularity is not what we're there for. And I think that is one of the major items that people get confused about. Being liked as a leader, as a manager, leads to the wrong decisions. And I learned that the hard way myself, to actually just make a decision based on the values, the integrity, the goals of the organization that are there. And it's easier to do. I spent a huge amount of my career looking at the importance of people. And now I've changed. Because I started looking at the numbers, which is where we started with all those years ago. And I spent a huge amount of time on people. But now my priority is service. And quality service that drives value and relevance at the appropriate cost. We, when we see people for interview process, we ask them the perennial question, quality cost service, which is most important. I've never hired anybody who said cost is number one because it's the wrong. It's a toss up between quality and service. I believe you start at service, you drive, you didn't build up into a quality service and the cost will take care of itself because you'll have driven value and relevance at every occasion then. You will. And, I, sorry, go on, Dan. No, yeah. no, talk away, talk away. No, I, I mean, it makes so much sense. And to... It's it's a mindset. I don't even know what the right phrase is to put around this, but when we come to the accounting departments or the people, the numbers people in a lot of organizations, there will be an argument that cost is more important. Yeah, 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 totally. And totally. it's so damaging to yeah. the quality and the service. <laughs> and I'm surprised that in this day and age that we still have such an emphasis on cost. Shared services came out of Susan cost in a lot of ways. It, it yeah. came out of it. You go back to the, the 90s and early 90s and 2000s, we moved things offshore for a cost basis. The service was different then at that stage. And what the pandemic has basically taught people is it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you should be able to service accordingly using technology and digitalization. And therefore, the message then is, do you bring things back onshore or nearshore them from far away? The, the issue at hand here that, that I've always found in, on this in particular is people who know the cost of everything know the value of nothing. And people who know the value of everything have a better than even chance in on the cost of what it is, the revenue, and what your actual payback will be on at all. Well, you can take anybody to process a transaction doesn't matter where they are, but process it correctly, process it on time, understand the output of it, ensure that you've got the right controls around it. So when the internal or external auditors ask you, did you do the right thing you did? 
and ensure then that it's not a golden resource has done it and seek to automate to the best of our ability. Like, so we have two robots running at the moment. They cost £126.10 between 12 at night and 6 in the morning. And they'll do the work depending on the day of between 22 and 48 people. What? Yeah. Whoa. And they'll do a load of our financial transactions for us. And it heads back to the value conversation you said. You couldn't ask anybody in 10 years. I don't think there'll be any traditional accountancy departments in 10 years. They're gone. I think you'll have two types of worker, Susan. You'll have a knowledge worker who will be able to do process improvement. You'll have an exception handler. The exception handler will somebody, because the system will be so automated and things will work on a right first-time basis so much so. You look at Amazon. If you don't put in the right details, you can't call somebody up and complain about it. You just if Nothing happens. You only put the right details in. And we, we will head towards that in the next 10 years. And we'll head towards a back office that's completely different from where at the moment, cloud-based in a different world. And that impacts on people then because the value is very different. And the cost is gone. The cost, well, the, your cost of transaction is very low because it's all digitalized. Your value of BI has gone up. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's yeah. the strategic value now of the people who can interpret the numbers oh. and help you look at the numbers and see them in a different light that many of us spent a lot of our career, well, I certainly did, looking yeah. backwards and trying to get the past to catch up with the present. Oh, totally, totally. And now you can look forward, which is a much more exciting place for finance people to live in too, I think. It is for those that are there, but but, but there's not going to be reams of people taking an invoice typing the header and typing the elements of that's gone. That's gone. You will have a bunch of people in your organization who will do knowledge, work, and exception handling. It's all. Your office cost is less. Your cost of training is less because it's all digitalization. What you have to have is the controls around your cyber world. And that's the, was one of the biggest challenges that's out there at the moment. And that's been driven then by quality and service. I mean, that's what you're talking about. Totally, there. totally, yeah. yeah. All you've ever seen is transactional costs go down. And they will not get to infinity at any stage And that. They will continue to low out. But it'll all be then the overall cost of the organization will be less and less and less. And you're back into your value of, of what you do. And the value of what you do in shared services or back office processing or accounting will be right first-time activity whereby you move from processing to your royal drivers taking your data that's been processed, ensuring you drive information, and then making business decisions based on that. That's where your value is at. There's no value in doing things wrong or right anymore. That day is done. The value is going to be when you're there in partnership with somebody saying, this is what you should do. And they'll say to you, why? Here's what the numbers say. Here's what experience says. Here's what the others are doing. And there will be less people, but they'll be given the same value and more that was at that time. Yeah. And one of my former guests had a great line, which is numbers don't make decisions. People do. No. And I think often we're driven yeah. in organizations too about what, you know, the numbers say we must do this or the numbers say we must do that. When actually 
you know, what you're saying there is it's the interpretation and this is what the numbers are saying. This is what I can help you see that the numbers aren't saying. But, but that goes back to our accountancy training, Susan, whereby you had to look at the form and substance of everything. And good financial people take the form of what it is, look at the substance behind it all and make informed decisions. The amount of time somebody says, well, that's the number. Well, actually, is it really the number? What's the presenting number? What's the real number? Particularly when it comes to your business cases. How many times has somebody produced a business case? Get signed up. How many people do a lessons learned and do a recce after the business case? See, did it actually ever pay off? You spend all this time going to investment committees with all these big numbers. Who goes behind the scenes and make sure it was done or not? Very few. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And then does anyone hold their hands up, like you say, for the lessons learned? Oh, it's look, it's one of the big things for me, right, is that the communities we operate in in finance, you get better things because you listen to other people. And people go to conferences and all that sort of stuff. I love going to conference here about things that failed. Because in reality, our people have tried it. I don't know how many times we go to these events and people are thinking of doing it or are procrastinating or scratching about it at the end of the day, right? And they're sitting there and, well, have you done it? No, but I'm thinking about, well, that, that's worthless to me because I want to find somebody who's failed. I want to find out what went wrong. I want to find out how it got wrong. And I want to find out what I'm going to do differently. And that's the real benefit of that honesty. But it's not good to tell people you failed or it didn't go well. And because everybody wants to be a winner and, you know, everybody wants the soundbite of being a winner. And where we've probably been more acceptable over the years, we've told the truth. We go to places, we tell what goes on. We tell some great stories of stuff that's happened and not happened. There are many Jerry Springer moments, God rest his soul, in the, on, on it all, where you look to the camera and go, that really happened? And I think our organization in shared services and finance, like there is a story. The story of change It's because some things never change. And the amount of learning that still is out there for people over and over again, because we are bewildered by data and information. And we have all the data and the information in the world, Susan, but we don't have the time. So who's going to interpret it for you? And who's going to drive you forward? Because nobody has all the time in the world to go and check everything. So you need to go to trusted sources. You need to talk to people who will tell you the truth. The truth you don't want to hear, but that's the unfallible truth. And that's where you get to a place that you make the right decisions faster and quicker. You hear this kind of fail faster, mm, not sure. I try not to fail at all, given the cost of failure, given the amount of aspect called, the amount of upward management, the amount of why did that happen? Why didn't you think of this? I would rather that we were sensible and we progressed at a rate and got it right. And that's what makes sense to it all. Don't Just step by step. Yeah. A big vision, but step yeah. by step. And then an allowance for yeah. a course correction. It's okay to come off the motorway when you're going from A to B. It's okay to pull up onto the service station and take out the map and go again. Are we going the right place? Or That's okay. Or call, phone a friend via who wants to be a millionaire. Find somebody who's there that is a trusted partner in that. And they're difficult to find. And they're difficult to find because, again, nobody wants to go around and say, I got this wrong. The people who get it wrong are the people I always go to for stuff because they'll tell me the truth. And then I'll try not to get it. And if I get it wrong then at that stage, it's on me then at that stage, Susan, to be fair. The, it's the people who go, or the, or the, the support or the advisory, or this is the right way of doing it. Actually, mm, I'm not sure. 
And it's maybe just my cynicism towards some of this. It's my experience, the scars on my back. It's that. I don't think there is a right way often. I mean, what you said first about transactional stuff, there's always a right way there. You know, a debit is a debit, a credit is a credit. That's it. If you can do that right, fine. But when it comes to like the more operational side of things, we need to be able to, to toss things around and think about it. And it isn't right first time often when it comes to uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. How can it be if you've never done it before? It, no, no. but what you can understand is you can determine what the real challenges are. And you can apply a rule of common sense, which goes missing in business, to be fair. You can plan for the good and the bad. You can build in contingency. You can empower people. And then you can constructively change. But you can bring attention to the process as well, which is needed. I'll give you a great example there whereby... We were doing a project and a part of a large ERP implementation. The last two customers were coming in, Susan, to it all. Previous 10 had come in. It it hadn't been great. To be fair, it had been difficult for many reasons. The last two came in the door. And one of them was a part of the business that needed quite a lot of equipment to do their work. And I said after Christmas 2018 to the MD of that business, I said, I need you to get two warehouses, one in the north of the UK and one in the south. I am concerned about your business readiness. Now, I could have been Jerry Springer talking to this guy, to be fair, or anybody, because he didn't pay one bit of attention. Went live in February the 7th. 23rd of March, the man rang me and said, my business is gone to the wall. He said, I can't get supply chain in. I said, that's okay. But I kind of told you that on the 17th of January. And the reason I told you that was the migration of data wasn't going well. No POs had been created. You hadn't communicated change properly to your people. And you'd paid lip service to the leadership needed around this. So it was always going to fail. But of course, I went into steering committee and you had a view of the bewildered, listening on, talking about it, and it became a tick box mentality. And I got voted down. And I, I was kind of going, well, I'm the only one who's done it for the last 20 years. <laughs> so, so this is nothing more than than change. You've never done this before, but you think you know the better. That's fine. That business never recovered in reality. It didn't prepare Susan. It didn't understand the change. It didn't buy into the change. It saw itself as special. It saw this as a vanity project for it. It didn't want to go down the route of it all. And it still struggles. And it will never, ever get there because of the start it had in life, unfortunately. And you often see that in children who go through the care system. Their life experiences early on will define them for so much. And you hear particularly, I was reading a great article on foster caring there, where, you know, where, you know, Every now and again, the foster carers need sometimes a bit of time out themselves because of the challenges of the children that have come into them and, and, and sometimes the difficulties that the children's bring that they have no understanding of, potentially for pre-birth activity of drink, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is in that line, that has huge impacts later on developmental journeys of those children. That's not of the child's making, it's not of the foster parents' making, but they've got to t- navigate it together. Some parts of our organizations, they will never get it. They'll never understand it. They don't want to. The smart person gets it. We used to have a great saying in Diageo, it'd be a poor day if we went to a party and everybody brought a bottle of Guinness. And somebody needs to bring soft drinks. 
Somebody needs to bring alcoholic drinks. Somebody needs to bring chips and dips. Somebody needs to bring a bit of music. Somebody needs to bring ice, cutlery, whatever, a plate of food. Somebody needs to bring a taxi number to go home. That makes an organization all together in that line. And you bring that to the table in any project, you then get a better chance of it succeeding because you brought all the right people to the party rather than a megalomaniac view that that's the way we're going and nobody else will know. And the car crashes into the wall and Susan, you could have told that two or three weeks before the project started. That's a brilliant way to describe diversity as well, I think, in a team, what you just said. It's a really great analogy of diversity rather than just thinking of diversity in terms of colour or sex. You know, actually what you're talking about is the different things that you need people to contribute to be on the team. One thing I wanted to pick up on was common sense, because a former colleague of mine used to always say, Susan, common sense is not so common because it's knowledge and experience. And I think we often take for granted the stuff that we've learned along the way that seems like common sense to us, but to others who haven't had the same level of experience or Mm -hmm. applied it, it's not so common. But there was something that you talked about play. You didn't actually talk about play, but it was twice on your little cube the word play, play as a team and play your part. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. And I was wondering, what does play mean in terms of that, Dan? If, for us, looking at them here, it's your contribution. It's it's the John F. Kennedy moment. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So you're all in, kind of, the play part. If you buy into the organisation, Look, another one would be development as an example there. Well, you know, one, the parts of organizations, they should give development opportunities. But I'm again minded by a 1962 comment by John F. Kennedy as well. Not everybody's got equal talent, but we should equal opportunity to develop the talent they have. And that's what organizations do. And playing your part in that is things like understanding as part of your performance review, like what would you like to be? Being honest about where you're, areas you could do better in. Figure out how you're going to deal with them, if you are going to at all. Face into them, because that's the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing is look in the mirror and go, actually, that's all what's wrong with me. That's a really hard thing to do. That that takes an awful lot. I've done it once ever. In I had to really reset myself in, in 2010. And it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do was to actually look in the mirror and go, actually, these are all wrong. And they have to stop. And these are some of the right things. You should do more of those. The play your part means what you're going to do about it. Because when the ball is passed you in any organization sport, it's okay to drop it the first time. It's okay to drop it the second. The third time, they won't pass again. So what are you going to do when you get to give you the ball? The analogy of common sense is really important because a lot of people are born with it. It's because it's nature. It's who they are. They have it in them. A lot of people, there's a fountain and they're asked to go walk to the fountain and drink out of it. They gargle and they walk away, to be fair. A lot of people spit it out and go, that's not for me. And some people bathe in and swim around it all and nearly drown in there. And they kind of have that brilliant ability to know my youngest daughter. She's got phenomenal common sense. It's not thought, it's just who she is. Just really, really, she always has a view, in my view, by and large, most times than I was right. 
it hurts me time to say that, but it actually is. And you get that thinking process because of the logic of our thinking at the age of 16. It's phenomenal. Like it's far ahead of where I was and developmentally. And you can just say to her, well, where do you want to be? And she wants to be a management consultant because that's where our thinking process takes her down the line because she believes that's where she can impact on that. But that common sense approach, I don't think you can teach it to people. I think it's either which you or not. You can take them to the fountain. You can get them in amongst it all. But I just think there's something when you have a decision to make, that instinct, which common sense is instinct. And you see it in animals. You see it in different elements to how they operate on the farm at home. You see how they operate together because their nature tells them what to do. We've just gone through the lambing season here. And you back to them all. Why do they immediately go to the mum for milk? I have no idea. Why is it? And why is it that the mum will only recognise her own in a field of maybe 100? What is it that's in the lambs and the mother that actually will always be? I see them out in the field. Are they all? It's the same ones. They kind of, oh my God, they've always been. They don't go to the others for a long period of time. They always stay there. And they could be 100 sheep and there could be 250 lambs. How is it? Because they all look the same to me at the end of the day. Yeah, the, the role of human nature as well. Just, you know, what you're saying there. Is, yeah. Oh, yeah, I get it. Absolutely. Human nature. And it's I suppose it's fascinating, isn't it? Because what is so amazing about people can also be what is so frustrating yeah, yeah. for when you're working about with them. And that's yeah. what makes us unique. And that's what makes worth our while getting good at working with people. Yeah, and I think we also begin to know what are the parts we do well and the parts we leave to other people to do well. Because you can't do everything. Yeah. Might think you can, but you can't. Yeah. You have to find a way to have those people who are trusted in your team who can do the things elsewhere that people want to do. You might have the, all the ideas. Your execution might be very different. You need to give those different things to different people. Ideas, people, and execution people often are different mindsets and delivery. They're in. So there are elements along the way that are, are different to it all. Dan, that has been such an interesting and completely different conversation than we set out to have, I would say, which is brilliant because yeah. it, it was very rich. And I think there's a lot in there for people to to probably go back over and listen to, especially the Jedi, because I know I'm going to be going back over to that yeah, yeah, Jedi yeah, P. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so fascinating. But there's a lot of gems in our conversation. And I love your practical, common sense approach. And I would imagine that I'd need to have my P's and Q's if I'm facing you in a meeting. And I, I in, in a respectful way, you know, I get that sense of, of actually you are going to be open and honest and we're going to sit down and we're going to sort that out. And I would really value being able to work with people like that as well. So I think it's a credit to, to you, who you show up as in the world today. Yeah, look, thanks. I've done a lot of learning. And I've made a lot of mistakes. That's all I'll say. And that's fantastic. And I've done what I can to get to where it is. I, I, I've had the ability of having a good upbringing, a good network, a really good family network around me. Like my wife is phenomenal at, at this, this. And she would be better than I am at this stuff, to be fair. 
on that line. And I think that that really helps. Might not always feel it at the time. I might not always say thank you at the time. It's there, but that, that helps in it all. And having a richness of experiences. I think if you went through life with a corporate experiences, I think you would come to the end of life and go, I've not lived it. And that's also important. You can bring different things in different ways. Like I brought over the Franklin Walters to ITV to do the team building. We were building a shared service from scratch. And I wanted to do something within the remits of media. And I said, you know, nothing better than to write a song and record a song together. So the Franks came over with a mobile recording unit. And I must send you actually one of the, I've still gotten the CDs of it all. They did 35 songs recorded over two and a half weeks with people. You went into a room and you sat, came up with a theme, people you'd never met before in your life, four or five of you, depending on it all. You had a band name. You came up with a theme, maybe ska, rock and roll, gospel, whatever it was. And they wrote a song with you. Then they recorded it overnight and came back, mixed it overnight and basically brought it back into play for yourself. And what it made was there's a richness of creating something in media that's something you had you held in your hand and also something that you had forever at that moment. And two of those songs, basically, I actually had played in Ireland on, on local radio. Basically, they were that good enough, what has effectively sitting in there at the time. And, but they all learned as well. They all learned through it at the experience of creating something from scratch on that line. It was a fantastic experience because the human mind wants to be driven by doing something differently. Absolutely. Dan, we're going to have to leave it. Our time is up. But you might be coming back again. Phase two. <laughs> Phase two. I think we only start scratching. Return of the, the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Phase two. <laughs> Thanks to everybody. Thank you very much, Dan. Oh, if somebody did want to connect with you to know more, Dan, where's the best place to find just, you? Just go on LinkedIn, basically. Dan Foley AAA. Go on LinkedIn. Drop me a note. Go on Twitter as well. Dan Foley AAA. Come and have a chat. We're always open for learning in that thing. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.